With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Here we go then, the football is back this week and it's time to get biting those nails once more. It's Burnley away first and City fans can't help thinking back to that tense encounter at Turf Moor in April 2019. But then it's the return of the Champions League in midweek with Pep Guardiola's side welcoming Atletico Madrid to the Etihad. On this week's Blue Moon podcast we'll be taking a look at that pair of matches but it's hard not to do it in the context of the weeks that follow too with a couple of meetings with Liverpool also on the horizon. Nothing can be won in the next few weeks but things could certainly be lost so Buckle up, we're on the first upward trip of this year's end-of-season roller coaster. Howard Hawkin is back on the show later to discuss booing. Plus, we'll be getting insight into both of this week's opponents and we'll squeeze in some of your questions too. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan and One Football's Dan Burke. Hello, David. And Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. Um, I, I want to start uh, just by asking you both how you're feeling ahead of the running because it's it, the last <laughs> international break is now done and dusted. Dan, you were on last week's show and we were trying to get everybody to keep calm. Um, yeah. I, 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 have you been able to keep calm? Weirdly, I feel quite serene at the moment, actually. I think this international break has really helped. I'm feeling a bit excited, actually, about the, the month to come. Maybe that's a bit perverse of me. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sort of I'm looking forward to it now. I'm, I want to get back into it, get stuck into it and... You know, there's obviously nerves there. Um, I think it's I think it's good to be nervous in a way, really. I think you, you feel nervous when you know that something good might happen or something bad might happen, and, and that's the situation facing us. We could win the treble, we could win nothing. You know, it's uh, it's it's all up in the air, and it's uh, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, what a time to be alive, eh, John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I feel the same about Dan. Actually, this this sort of two week break has has been sort of a nice breather, really, hasn't it? Just to just to forget it a little bit, it was all getting a bit on top after the after the Palace game. Everyone was getting worried, etc. I just think two weeks has just settled things down a little bit. Um, but I, you know, it's going to quickly ramp up again. You, you, you start obviously going to start talking about the Burnley game. That is the first one. That's going to be a big test. It's a question of getting over the line, and then it's exactly the same for the next four matches. You know, there's no way that Atletico game is going to be over and done with in the first leg, like it was in, at Sporting. Uh, and, then, and then it's Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> last week, John, we did a big thing on on trying to enjoy it and not getting stressed. Um, I, I, are you going to be, is it going to get stressful? I mean, even even like looking at it as a, a you know, from a neutral point of view as a, 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 and reporting on City, is it is it hard not to get, not to feel that tension in the Etihad every week? Yeah, definitely. I think also with the way City set up at the moment, obviously they've got no... Sort of goal scorer to turn to. No one you can you can say, you know, someone like Sergio or you know, had it been Harry Kane, someone like that, where you just say, you know, we've always got Sergio to to get a goal. Um, City's goals this season are all crafted, aren't they? So it's going to either be something, you know, it's just it's just the way they work out that it's going to be something to do with Foden or Bernardo Silva or a great pass from De Bruyne. There's no obvious route to get the goal, so I think there was, you know. I think there's going to be tight games. I think there's going to be goalless half times. 
Um, and I think it, it, it got a little bit intense in that Palace game and they couldn't find a way through when they should have done. They had the chances. It became one of those games where you thought they're not going to score and it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's a little bit of a concern that City are going to have to be patient over these next five games. I mean, they might get an early goal, obviously, against Burnley, get you know, be, be two or three and up at half-time and, you know, no problem. Um, but Liverpool are obviously playing at lunchtime, so they could be top by that game comes around. If it's nil-nil at half-time, it's going to be tense, there's no doubt about it. And like I say, Atletico and Liverpool are going to be the same. Yeah, I was going to say, Dan, um, early goals are kind of like gold dust at the moment now, aren't they? It's 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 almost like <laughs> getting get in front and settling your nerves. So even no matter how the game goes after that, it's it's a case of like, oh, we've scored. Okay, now we've got something to build. Very much so. And our record when we go one nil up in games is perfect almost, isn't it? I think I don't think we've we've lost a game this season where we've taken the lead. Uh, so that would be the dream scenario at, at Turf Moor that we go 1-0 up after five minutes and then it's just a bit of a, a casual stroll then because, you know, like I said on the podcast last week, I think we are going to be second in the league when we go into this game. I think Liverpool will win their game at, at Watford beforehand. So the pressure's going to be on a little bit and, and when you need to win games, it's it, it could be an awful watch sometimes. You know, every second is painful, isn't it? As the as the clock ticks towards the, the full-time whistle. So, yeah, an early goal will be, will be delightful against Burnley. Yeah, well, uh, many comparisons are being drawn between this season and uh, the 2018-19 season. That's probably because that was the year that City pipped Liverpool to the title by one point, and City are currently leading Liverpool by that same margin. In that run, the tie at Turf Moor was not one that City fans enjoyed. Just in case you'd forgotten what it was like, here's Sam Roscoe with a reminder. City's trip to Burnley in 2019 came in late April. The title race was going to the wire and City were going to Turf Moor in second place. They had 89 points, Liverpool had 91. But City were a game behind and a win would put them top. I like the Premier League because at the end that is a, a competition that uh, what you want to live good, have fun. And when you win the Premier League a lot of games, between games, you're happy. So that's why I like the Premier League, because it makes your life every day in the training session, your mood is better, you can convince the players easy way. That was Guardiola speaking ahead of the match. He seemed quite relaxed, but still focused on the job in hand. Perhaps he wasn't expecting the game to be as tight as it was. We deserve to win. We create a lot of chances. The result 0-1 is short for our, our performance. Uh, so delight for the way we controlled them, so we didn't concede one corner. In this stadium, we didn't concede few, few chances because it's impossible to control Vards because he's a master to control these balls, to fell down. That was his reaction at full time. It had been mostly one-way traffic, but City had had a hard time making the breakthrough. Burnley had thrown bodies in front of everything. Countless blocks were made, a couple of efforts were cleared off the line and City's winner was given by the goal decision system. Aguero! Sergio Aguero's strike crossed the line by 29 millimetres. 
Guardiola was asked if he knew it was in before the referee's watch buzzed. I didn't know it, I know for centimetres, and Messi is not technology there, maybe it's not given. But that's why I like that, so all we have done these two seasons, nobody gave us anything, so we won it, we did it. And, and that's good. City really had to battle for the point. Burnley boss Sean Dyche told the press afterwards that their plan was to simply make the game as hard as possible. We deliberately, as we often do against these sides, we're not going to beat them at their game, so we had to make it as awkward, as, as almost like a cup tie feel. You know, and the game feels completely different. And I thought we did that well, actually. We've kept at it, we've stuck at it, defended fantastically well, and you, you end up getting close to getting something from the game. Nobody said it was easy. Because of that, Guardiola was really happy with the performance. The tension we play all the games is normal, not create a lot, a lot of chances, but I was surprised how clear we create, especially in the second half. But uh, you know, we are. So the team was so solid. So here, when you come, you can see a lot of falls, a lot of corners, especially. I'm delighted for the way we played, arrived here in England, in, in, in the most typical English stadium, for the way they play, and not concede one corner and we could, uh, you know, control control the situations. He was also very impressed with how his side were handling the pressure of the title race and how the team had picked themselves up from the Champions League elimination to Spurs a couple of weeks earlier. How they mentally strengthen and react with the problems they have in there, you know, with, without Kevin, without Fernandinho, without important players, and come here and play the way we played. Nothing, keep going, just two games. Uh, it's tough for Liverpool, it's tough for us with 92, 91 points, still we are not champion, but it's, that's what it is. So they push us, we push them, and at the end we'll see two more games. That character was evident at Turf Moor. It took an hour or so for City to get in front. Once they had, the final 30 minutes seemed to drag on and on and on. It finished with Guardiola taking off Sergio Aguero and Raheem Sterling in the closing stages and bringing on both John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi. City finished with all four of their main centre-backs on the pitch, plus Kyle Walker and Alexander Zinchenko as full-backs. That isn't normal for City, even when they're seeing out a tight game, and Guardiola was asked about that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trembling. Definitely, yeah. I was trembling. If, because I have another one. If not, I would, I would put it again, yeah. I was trembling. John Dyche thought it was another sign of how hard Burnley had made it that afternoon. It's a compliment that I saw Pep Guardiola by my own eyes and heard him screaming, get it in the corner. It just goes to show even the best, you know, they have to do it. You know, the best sides and they have to see the game through four centre-halves on the pitch and sometimes they have to do it as well and today was one of them times. You've got to do what you've got to do to win. Make no mistake. I think there's a few moments in the second half when the game seemed to slow down. I don't know whether you noticed that. Got to do what you got to do to win. That result put City back on top of the table with two games left. They played second the following weekend too, beating Leicester on the Monday evening to make sure they were the league leaders on the final day. It's difficult to say if this season's match at Turf Moor will have a similar feel just because of how many games there are left. Not only that, Liverpool still have to come to the Etihad later in April too. But whatever happens at Burnley on Saturday, the away fans will be hoping it's much more comfortable in the 90 minutes. Hi, this is Gary Cook and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. 
support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So that was Sam looking at the uh, April 2019 1-0 win at Turf Moor. Um, John, what was that like? Were you there? Yeah, I was there. Um, I had absolutely no idea what happened with the goal. I was, I was right at the other end of the uh, of the stadium um, in, the, in the far corner. Um I didn't know what was going on. I thought he'd given a penalty. They've got very, very small TV screens at Burnley. Um, so I just no idea. And then all of a sudden, the, yeah, saw Aguero running towards the away fans, um, away fans celebrating. And, you know, that was, that. it was obviously such a, such a massive um, result, that one. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I didn't realise that, um, it was only when, when when Sam pointed it out to me, I didn't realise that, that City finished that game with all four centre-backs on the pitch and two full-backs. They, like, it was literally <laughs> Guardiola going, we are not losing this lead. He never does that. Yeah, yeah, he never does that. Yeah, I, I remember that as well, because I remember they were just dumping balls into the box at the end and it was it was company getting his big head on it most of the time. Um, and it, it was a really nervous end to the game. It had been a nervous game anyway. I remember watching that at work and normally when there were matches going on, you know, I have... I have few things to do sometimes covering more than one match at once and that day I just said to the lad that I'm working with look I can't do anything but watch this game today can you just do all the other stuff and he was like yeah that's fine and my, my, my eyes were just glued to the TV screen all the way through it and then it was yeah it was a relief when we went one nil up but then there was still about half an hour left wasn't there and, yeah. and the last uh, the last the last five or so minutes we were we were properly under siege so yeah, I'm getting a bit bit worried thinking about it now, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask, John, do you, do you worry that this game could be similar? And the only reason I ask is, like, Burnley are not in great form this season. Um, but we were talking before we heard from Sam there about, you know, the possibility that City don't have that striker, that 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 person that you can rely on to, to, to get the goal when you really need it. City have got to craft a goal at Turf Moor. Yeah, um, I just don't think Burnley are quite the team that they were Certainly in 2019, I think I think that you can score against them a little bit easier now. You know that they sort of Ben me, James Tarskovsky right at the top of it in 2019. I think I don't think they're quite as strong. Um, and I think City have got the well, they've clearly got the the ability to sort of manoeuvre them around the field and, and open them up. Um, yeah, obviously that Aguero was the, was the was the key man in the games like that where when you want one chance to fall to somebody, it was him. Uh, and City haven't got that anymore. But I think there will be plenty of chances. Obviously, Burnley are going to approach this in terms of any point will be absolutely precious to them. You know, this is a, it's kind of a free hit for them. Um, so I think the onus on them, the first priority for them will be to stop City. Um, and you, you would, you know, you have to think there will be chances. They just... I just feel like they've got to relax a little bit in front of goal. It's starting to become a bit of an issue, and and maybe maybe just forget about it. And just I'm sure you know Guardiola's a master of man management. He'll have them relaxed and, and confident. And when the chance has arrived, uh, you know, obviously players like Mares are scoring regularly. So yeah, I, I think there will be chances. I don't know, but be plenty of chances for City to win this game. Yeah, I mean, just something that John said there, Dan, that um, made me think. I can't think, actually, of a performance under Guardiola um, where they have looked 
tense. And what I mean by that is you you think of you think of the times when, uh, for instance, Mancini took them to Sunderland in that eleven uh, twelve uh, title winning season on New Year's Day, and it, it, like City battered Sunderland that day, but they just didn't. Re- they they looked like they were tense in the in that game. Even when City fail under Guardiola and they lose games or they drop points, it doesn't feel like they've done it because they were they they weren't relaxed in front of goal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we sort of played a different sport these days than we were under under Mancini, weren't we? It's all about control of the ball. It's all about dominating possession. You know, trying to find little little gaps in the in the opposition defence and work chances and and you know what what annoys us when when City are chasing a game or chasing a goal is that they they sort of abandon that a little bit sometimes and start putting crosses into the box and dinking balls into the box and and that would be a bit of a worry going into this Burnley game that if if, if they are struggling to carve out chances that they start doing that because you know there's if there's one thing I know about Burnley it's that they their their centre backs are good in the air and yeah, good, they can they can head a ball can't they? Stuff. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah there's, they've not got much else going for them but they've certainly got that so we might have to be a bit creative when it comes to to finding ways to to score goals in this game. But Sean Dyche in that feature from Sam was talking about making it hard for City there. Um, I mean, that's surely his game plan again, isn't it? Just like make this game as hard as possible. Yeah, they're going to get in our faces, aren't they? They're going to make it physical and difficult, and and that is the way they play. That's kind of all they've got to got to go with. But I think it's. I mean, it has been a bit of a bogey ground for us in the past, and and other teams have struggled there. Um, but I think it's almost bordering on on a bit of a myth now that Turf Moor is a tough place to go. I hope I'm not tempting fate by saying that, but <laughs> it, it's it, their record against sort of the big teams at home is really poor, and I think they're on a three game losing streak going into this. So. They're not in great form. They're struggling um, to score goals themselves. The, the, the serious threat of relegation that hasn't been there in, in previous years. So it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with it. I mean, I, I think of it in terms of if Liverpool were going to Turf Moor this weekend, I would expect them to win and there'd be a small part of me that would be hoping they would lose. And I think that would be the same way that I'd be approached as a City fan. I, I expect us to win and there's a small part of me that worries that we might not. Yeah, I was going to say, John, all that points to a home win, doesn't it? That's that's how things work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think there's quite the same appetite at Burnley as it was. We've seen it in the past with other clubs like Stoke, um, and you know, I'm trying to think of another one, maybe Wigan, I suppose, where they were, they were, there was a bit of a novelty factor about it being in the Premier League, and they stayed up, and then they had a good, good second season, and they made progress and got to Europe. It feels like they're slightly on the, the, the decline at the moment, Burnley, and the, and the fans aren't quite buying into it. There isn't that sort of siege mentality at Turf more than there was in the past. And obviously, like Dan says, you know, City perhaps had it a little bit easier on the last couple of visits. But then, yeah, having said that, it is a relegation battle. Maybe they'll be right up for this one. In terms of, of, of finding it easier in recent visits, um, see, in my head going into this, I was thinking uh, this is a tough place to go. City always find it tough at Turf Moor. Um, and, you know, my my thoughts went to the first season under Guardiola there. It was very tight 2-1 win. Uh, they drew there in the in the 100 points season. Uh, then there was that 18-19 uh, one that we've been talking extensively about, about how difficult it was for, for City to, to get that 1-0 win. Uh, but since then, it's been a 4-1 win, a 3-0 win and a 2-0 win at Turf Moor. So um, I, I'm kind of sensing that City are maybe over that, that, that finding Turf Moor a tough place to go then. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I think we. I mean, do you remember the the winning goal in that one, the first one under Guardiola, the Aguero that, goal, where it sort of went in off his knee. That was the one, <laughs> John. Did, did you ask Guardiola about that? And that was it. Was it to you? He was just going beautiful goals. No, 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 it wasn't. There. Was that not to you? No. 
Yeah. Sorry, I, I think it was sad because I, I was yeah. I was in that press conference actually. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he, he it was funny that. Yeah, but yeah, it was. Yeah, I, th- I think we've we've learned to play against different standards of opposition now, and we do we can go into this with some confidence that we are by far the better team and are going to create chances. I mean, even that game we're talking about the game uh, the one nil uh, in the eighteen nineteen season. If you look at the stats from that game, we had like twenty five shots that day. I think Burnley had I had looked before Burnley had two shots not on target. So we did dominate the game, but it's yeah, it's going to be one of them where we might have to be a bit patient or. We might just go one nil up after five minutes and, and breeze through it. Who knows? Yeah, I was watching. Uh, I watched that game back, and there was at least two occasions where the ball was cleared off the line, and City didn't manage to get it over. Then the third one where it was cleared <laughs> yeah. off the line, they did get the they they squeaked it over in millimeters. So yeah, um, it was uh, certainly backs against the wall. Uh, let's get a view of what the mood is like at Turf Moor at the moment. I've been speaking to Burnley fan Kevin Robinson about the season so far. Realistically, the squad isn't anywhere near good enough. It's ironic, really, but we've had our best year for recruitment in a very long time. Um, we've brought in Valt Vegerst and Maxwell Corne, and they've both been absolutely superb. But we're still kind of catching up from, what, three or four years of signing pretty much nobody, really. I think we went like four transfer windows and signed two like first-team players. It, it's not a good position anyway, but when your squad, like our squad was always built as a, an old squad. The teams around us are improving. Our squad is just is not improving, but it's actually declining at the same time. Obviously, we've had some some good signings this season, but there's just not enough to make up the gap behind them. Like that Vegas coming in, he's played really well up front, but we can't get the ball to him because the midfield doesn't really exist. It says a lot that Aaron Lennon has been our biggest creative force in the last few last few weeks because like I've I've come around to him a lot more. Probably more relatively to everyone else, but he was. We released him about two years ago because he wasn't good enough, and then he's come back in and played about ten minutes in the first half of the season, and has come in in the second half and been our, our biggest creative force. But that that in itself is is quite damning, I think. Um, I also think Sean Dyche is just far too inflexible. Other teams have, have adapted their tactics; they're able to adapt during games. It's not something that. I don't think I've ever seen ever seen Sean Dyche, you know, change the shape or his subs are like like for like, and I think that doesn't help either. There's actually been quite a lot of occasions where we've where we have taken the lead or we've 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 started really well, but then it's the other team adapt and we don't adapt, and then it, it falls down a little bit. So I, I have been critical of Sean Dyche this season, but it is kind of by far just that we don't have a squad that is, is good enough to compete. Yeah, um, I mean, just looking at the the picture at the bottom of the table, you have got games in hand on on the teams around you. Um, is how how are you feeling about the season? Is there is, is there a chance Burnley stay up, or is it is is it at this stage you'd rather have the points on the board than the games in hand? Yeah, I mean, a couple of months ago, I was I put all my money on us on us going down, but we, we've, we've then had a really good week. We beat uh, Brighton, I think it was three nil, I think something like that. Um, then we we beat we beat Spurs. We drew with uh, a couple of top teams, so that was a really really strong week. And actually, at that point, you're like, okay, is this actually happening? Because we've done that a few times. We've we've got to you know February March and looked a little bit out of it, and then had a really strong end to the season. But since then, the results of the results and performances have, have dropped off. You know, we've got these games in hand right now. I'm, I'm struggling to see where the points come from to to make those games in hand useful. 
but I've always been a pessimist. So um, <laughs> maybe maybe we will come and surprise me. But Everton and Leeds have still had some pretty rubbish results. But we've also had a couple of good results in the last few weeks as well, which is a bit of a blow as well. When I look at the whole situation, I, I find it really difficult to see where we get enough to stay up. Yeah, I know a lot of City fans going into this one are, are quite nervous that it will be a, a repeat of that uh, of the tough game that that it was in uh, in 2019 at Turf Moor. Uh, just looking at the goals conceded column, um, you are you are one of the teams that has has the fewest goals against in the bottom half of the table. Um, how are you defending at the moment? I mean, we're a Sean Dyche team, so defending is our main priority. We've probably been a little bit shakier than in previous seasons. But it's still a Sean Dyche team, so you know you know exactly what you're going to get. We're going to be really compact, really deep. We're going to have lots of players behind the ball and lots of lots of pressing throughout the whole pitch. We've had a couple of, of decent games against City, but actually, the one of the teams that are really good at breaking down our system. I think um, I moved to Manchester last year, and I was like, do I do I go to the City game? Yes, he has, but we. <laughs> we we concede at least four goal four goals every time we go to the Etihad. So there's something about City that really knows how to break down Sean Dyche's um, defensive structure. So yeah, look, we're defending like a Sean Dyche team. The problem is very definitely the lack of kind of creativity in midfield. Uh, our the, the midfielders we've got are, are still defensively strong. Connor Roberts has come in at right back and, and has been really really strong um, since he since he, he broke into a team, which is which is excellent. And Nick Pope has, has refound a bit of form in the second half of the season. He had a, I think he had a pretty weak start to the season. Yeah, you know what to expect of a Burnley team defending. It's not where our problem is, but it's it's still probably been slightly shakier than than it has been in in previous times. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, of this game, if uh, if Burnley are to go on and uh, and, and well, I, I was going to call it a shock. I don't know if it would be a shock, but if City, if Burnley were to get the get get the points or get something out of this game, who are the players that are going to do it? Not many, um, but it is the the Valt Vegerst and 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 Maxwell Corney are the two Burnley players that we've got that can that can really impact the game. I know Corney has been struggling with. Struggling with confidence and and with fitness and injuries since he came back from the African Cup of Nations. I don't know. He's been dropped a couple of times actually, just because he's not been quite hundred percent. So that's a little bit frustrating. Because before he went away, he was just phenomenal. I think he scored something like six in eight games or something like that. Vegurst is really strong. Is one of the things we did like when we had Chris Wood up front. Like I said, the, the midfield really lacked that creativity. Vegurst really comes a lot deeper. He likes to actually come deep, get the ball and, and bring it forward himself. So that's been that's been really big for our game. It's been a massive improvement to the whole structure of the team since he did come in. So he's generally at the heart of, of anything we do. And like I said earlier, Aaron Lennon has has been performing really, really well. He, he kept Dwight Manil out. He's just been kind of undroppable, which is which is big coming for me because I've I was very famously a, a massive critic of, of Aaron Lennon. But he's been He's really added a bit of a fight. It's, it's strange to have say this about someone at his, the stage of his, his career, but he's really added the final ball that was lacking previously. He's working really hard at, at, at still pushing himself. So those are probably the three, the three progressive players. Any any success Burnley have in a game like that will obviously come from that defensive structure as well, which everybody get invo- gets involved in. 
Yeah. Um, let's talk turf more because um, this it's been... I, I always think of it as a really tough place for City to go. And then I had a look at the recent results and City have actually done quite well there in the last couple of visits. But before that, especially under Guardiola, it was re- they really had to fight for the points. Um, what's Burnley's home form like this this season? <laughs> well, it's it's... It's it's poor, but uh, I think Olaf. That's because Olaf, Olaf form has been poor. It's it's been it's been pretty disappointing. I think actually there, there have been a couple of occasions when the, the fans have gotten the, the teams back a little bit, which is understandable when you're in a in a, in a position where where we've been. But I don't think it I don't think it helps. I think it gives a boost to the opposition and, and not to ourselves. I think one of the things we've been really good at in this time is we have generally had. A really strong home record throughout our entire Premier League stay. I think there was at one point where we went like more than a year without an away win, but it was it was purely our, our home form which was was pushing us up the table. So it's always been a big part of what makes Burnley Burnley. Since the pandemic, it's not quite hit those both same heights. Um, I don't know quite what it is playing behind closed doors. You really saw the impact that the Burnley crowd does have. Home results definitely dropped off in, in that period, and and yeah, we've not really picked back up. Um, we definitely have always performed a lot better than against say at, at Turf more than at the Etihad. Like I said earlier, I think it's always like four or five nil at the Etihad. So definitely prefer to play at Turf more. So yeah, it, it plays a role. It's not quite hit the heights it has done previously, but I'd, I'd certainly much rather be playing at Turf more than than in Manchester. Yeah. Um, well, Kevin, we've got a charity back coming up a bit later on. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at it. So uh, what's your score prediction for this game? Oh, dear. Um, so when I when I used to kind of host a, a Burnley podcast, we had, we had a, a, a score prediction kind of thing going. And every single season, I finished bottom of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what you said is don't hope to win some money. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm also Mr. Pessimist. Um, it's probably going to be. I, I can't see us going a goal. I just can't can't see us as progressing up the field that much. Let's say three nil defeat for Burnley. Uh, I, I'd hate to see it, but that's what watching Burnley's done to me this season. It's made me that that pessimistic. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. That was Burnley fan Kevin Robinson uh, previewing the game uh, between City and Burnley at the weekend. Um, let's also have a look at the uh, Atletico Madrid tie because. Um, John, is this one of the worst ties that City could have had during this run, or will it actually focus minds given how how tough it's going to be? I mean, it's it's the quarterfinals of the Champions League, so you know it sounds like a bit of a manager's answer, doesn't it? But you know you're going to get a difficult team. I mean, there were it would have been worse to have got Liverpool. I mean, that would you can you imagine four games of Liverpool on the trot, <laughs> and that was that's just unthinkable. Um, you know, Bayern Munich would have been harder. Uh, Maybe you know, maybe Chelsea would have been harder. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a tough game, but it's probably one of the the better sides left. In, you know, of the seven teams they could have got, it's it's definitely one they can win. Benfica would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's sort of if you were, you know, you take from the I looking at it, sort of glass, glass half half full. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, Dan, if Burnley is actually, uh, bizarrely, a nice little warm-up for this game because if Burnley are going to make <laughs> it hard, Atletico will make it hard, won't they? Yeah, maybe we'll get a bit of practice in terms of breaking down a defence this weekend that we can, we can take into that game. I mean, uh, Atletico are having a, a pretty bad season by by their recent standards. Um, they 
they've struggled, you know, in, in a fight for for top four. I think they their form has improved a bit in recent weeks. They've changed the system a little bit and they play with three central defenders, one of whom is our uh, old friend Stefan Savic. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on against us because we we all remember what he was like in a city shirt, don't we? Um, <laughs> it won't they play, be like, like three... midweek, will he? <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, they play with three sort of pretty defensive uh, central midfielders and then and then two wing backs, um, one of whom scored the winning goal at, at Old Trafford the other week, Renan Lardy. So. You know, dealing with width is going to be something that we're going to have to worry about. And then, of course, they've got Jao Felix and Antoine Griezmann up front who are, who are quality players who can cause us problems. So, yeah, it's going to be a really tough game. I think we're going to win it um, fairly comfortably over the two legs, but it's it's not going to be um, a stroll by any means. Yeah, it's, I mean, John, does it have an impact on those two Liverpool games that are coming? I know we're not previewing them on this week's show, but you can't help but look at this the uh, this next few weeks in the context of uh, of the fact that they play Liverpool in the league and the FA Cup coming up soon. Yeah, it's going to be draining. They're going to have a lot of the ball, a lot of possession. They're going to be frustrated in that first leg. You know, I think we all know how this first leg is going to be. They're going to sit on the edge of the, their own box and try and play on the break. Um, and they're going to win every header. They're going to win lots and lots of tackles, get lots of blocks in. Um, and it's just a question of you just keep going and going and going. You know, it's the sort of game where you, you can I, I can sort of visualise Bernardo Silva, right wing one minute, left back the next, just doing everything he can to find a way through. Um, so it's going to be draining from that point of view. It's you, you know, like I said, I don't think they'll win. I don't think the tie will be over after the first leg. Whereas Liverpool um, have got uh, Benfica, and you would think actually by the time of the, the at the end of, by the time they played that first leg, it, it probably will be over the way that Premier League team's records against Portuguese opponents is at the moment. So, yeah, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a massive couple of weeks, no doubt about it. Yeah, does uh, does the fact that there's no away goals now, um, Dan, affect City in any way? Does it because it, it it almost means that the jeopardy of conceding in this first leg isn't as bad as it as it as it might have been? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a bit. Uh, it's going to be a bit detrimental to us, if anything, because when I mean, I was a big advocate advocate for scrapping away goals because I saw us get knocked out of the Champions League on them too one too many times, and, and I, I used to hate the way that the you know one away goal could completely swing a tie. Now it's a bit different, and I I do think it's better, but going home first i mean in the old days you would you would try and get a, establish a decent lead in your, in your home game uh you know even if it's just one nil then you go away from home your away goals can't double any goals that you score there are going to have a massive impact on the tie now it's almost like if we're one nil up from the home leg we don't really have that advantage of going away from home now and and, and being able to to really change the game in a, in a way so it's it's going to be a bit difficult i think um It'd be the same if we get to the the semi final as well, won't it? We're we're home first and away away second then. So, I guess it's something everyone has to deal with, and and we'll uh, we'll hopefully be able to deal with it. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it affects the the tie. Yeah, um, John, we talked about uh, kind of managing the squad as well over this difficult period. The the one thing that we that we kind of have to accept at this point is that Guardiola can't pick the team that we all want him to pick for every single one of these games because he can't he, he he just can't put out a, a full strength eleven on you know for you know Burnley, Atletico, Liverpool, Atletico, Liverpool. It just won't happen. Um, so how will he approach this? Will he look at, at maybe Burnley being the game where he can use a little bit of leeway? Well, no, I think I think there are certain players who can can play all five. Obviously, he, he talks about like players like Joao, Quan, uh, Joao Cancelo who recover quickly and can just play all the time 
uh, Foden, uh, you know, there are, are, I'd say there's half a dozen players who could play all five games without a problem. Um, Yeah, but it's 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 the couple of players who, like you say, probably wouldn't be in most people's strongest 11. And he's going to have to rely on them and they're going to have to turn up at some point. Uh, you know, whether it's... I mean, we've it's been interesting, hasn't it, when when we've we've looked at fixtures recently. I can't think of an example, actually, off the top of my head, but where, where they've had a, a difficult Premier League game and perhaps an easier Champions League game. And he's always gone with a strong side in Europe, not taking any chances. And you wonder if maybe he might do the same again. Um, but it's good, yeah, he's going to have to turn to Gabriel Jesus... Uh, Raheem Sterling, props on the on the fringes now, not in the strongest eleven. Fernandinho is going to have to play one of them. I would have thought so. He's going to have to rely on them at some. You know, I wouldn't like to choose which game you, you throw them into, um, but they will they will be playing at some point, definitely. It won't be one game that he picks, though, will it, Dan? It'll be maybe Fernandinho plays at Burnley, but then uh, maybe it's uh, Sterling and Jesus who play, you know, one of the Liverpool games each sort of thing. It's a it, it's a real kind of... It will be a mix and match, won't it, of, of where he rotates? Yeah, I think so. I, I could almost say that it'd be a bit like last season in that, that FA Cup game... Uh, is a bit like the one against Chelsea last season where it was just a bit too much in the end, wasn't it? The, the, the squad just couldn't really sort of cope with the demands of so many competitions at once. And he played a slightly weakened team against against Chelsea at Wembley, which probably should have been good enough to, to win it, but just they were just very sort of weirdly a bit sluggish that day. So yeah, you wonder if that's going to yeah. be the case. Yeah, if, if, if something's got to give, then, then maybe it's that one. Um, it would be interesting to see if, if Fernandinho gets a run out in any of these games, actually, because... You know, I've not been hugely confident when he's played uh, at times this season. I do think he's really started to look his age this season. Obviously, he can still do a job, and maybe Burnley would be a good a good one to put him in for. But yeah, the the, the home leg of the uh, the Champions League as well almost makes me wonder whether he might approach it a little bit like the away leg of the Spurs Champions League game in in eighteen nineteen, where he rested a few players that day. I think uh, Kevin De Bruyne was rested, Leroy Sané was rested, or uh, they, they both came on as subs towards the end. Maybe he'll rotate and, and try and try and sort of get away with one against Atletico Madrid, save a few players, keep them fresh for the Liverpool game, and then really mount an assault in the second leg of the uh, Atletico tie. But yeah, there's, there's there's quite a lot of juggling to be done. I think the, uh, the the Walker situation makes things a bit interesting as well because we're going to see uh, Zinchenko uh, in for the first leg, you would imagine, and Cancelo at right back, and then and then Walker can play in the second leg, can't he? He can, yeah, yeah. So he'll come back in for that. Um, but you'd imagine he'll have played against Liverpool a few days previously as well. So, yeah, I'm getting nervous now. We're talking about all this. I, I was pretty calm when we started. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. It's uh, it, it, it is my job to do that to you, though. Um, well, to, to find out more about the challenges that Atletico Madrid will pose on Tuesday evening, I've been speaking to Ruri Barlow from La Liga Lowdown. I started by asking how Atletico were getting on so far this season. Well, not too badly, I think. Atletico Madrid have been one of the the harder teams to really put your finger on this season because they've been so up and down and they haven't really been consistent all the way through the season up until about six or seven games ago, which I'm sure uh, Manchester City fans will be less than pleased to hear. They've really sort of settled on sort of a lineup and sort of a, a way of playing which seems to work for them in the last six or seven games. It happened right before the Manchester United Champions League tie, actually. And yeah, okay, they've been poor. And if you look at their league position, they're sort of third, fourth level of Barcelona and quite a long way off Real Madrid at the top. But 
in those last sort of six or seven games, we've started to see sort of some of the signs that Cholo Simeone is still sort of living within Atletico Madrid and they can produce the sort of performances that they did against Manchester United. Although that being said, Manchester United were were not great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that, that, I mean, that's that, that's kind of not the barometer that a lot of City fans are, are, are kind of taking it for anymore. <laughs> the, uh, the thing is with the, with this draw, I think I, I think the fear that a lot of fans have is that uh, Atletico will sit in deep, they will cut out all the space and City will have a lot of the ball and get nowhere with it. Is there a real danger of that? There's a danger of it. What I would say is that sort of on the positive side for Pep Guardiola, is that this is not Atletico Madrid of the past. It's not Atletico Madrid of five, six years ago, where you had Diego Godin sort of marshalling this defence. Oblak, up until I think the end of last season, he was probably one of the players that, in La Liga at least, most fans would have said he's the best goalkeeper in the world, maybe with Courtois, maybe with one or two others. This season, he's really been quite poor, to be honest. Uh, And he started to show signs of recovery as well. But they're not sort of this impregnable death star that you, you have to sort of, yeah, fly fly through this narrow passage to, to sort of score against anymore. There are goals to be had against Atletico Madrid. That being said, you can see sort of the odd one-off performance. And I think more than anything, City will need to manage their mentality in this match, not get too frustrated. I, I mean, I'm, they have plenty of experience of this, but it, it's one thing saying it and doing it. They need to sort of be patient, essentially. Because there there are holes in this Atleti team, and I think you can exploit them. I think they've they've sort of settled on uh, Jimenez, Stefan Savage, and Renildo Mandava, who's the new sort of winter signing that came in as their kind of back three. And then they had Marcos Llorente playing as the right wing back, and Renan Lodi as their left wing back. And okay, it's good, but it, it's not sort of a, a vintage Atleti. So there there are holes for City to exploit, as I say. So. I think more than anything, City need to manage their mentality and they also need to not concede. I think if they concede, that's when they perhaps get into trouble. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was going to ask about this. It's um, it, it's one thing kind of um, sitting deep and defending. Who are the players that, if, if, if City are going to face trouble, who are the ones that are going to cause the damage? There is some debate amongst the Atleti camp about who is going to start up front. Antoine Griezmann has been sort of coming back from injury and not been starting loads of games. Um, he's sort of still making his way back to fitness. But I do think that if it were me, Antoine Griezmann would start. You saw how he sort of played this hybrid off the right role um, when they were kind of defending. He was playing it wide, essentially, against Manchester United. And then when they were attacking, he would sort of move inside. Him along with João Felix. Now, João Felix is the big threat for me. He's never really managed to gel with Atleti and Simeone again until those kind of last six or seven games. And we've seen his his movement improve. He seems a lot more comfortable. He seems to be moving at ease. There's a real smoothness to João Felix when he's on form. And and we've seen, I think he's got four or five goals in his last um, five, six La Liga appearances as well. He's laid on a couple of assists. He's, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's changed. But in the last sort of couple of months, he seems to have found a way to be a predator in the box. And and beyond all the sort of silky skills that he has, beyond the, the very kind of yeah smooth running style and ability to get around a defender, he's popped up in crucial moments in the right position. And then that's where City need to be, to be mindful of Atleti in my mind. Yeah, he's been. I mean, he was one that uh, that city have kind of on and off been linked with as well. Is he? How how's he doing at the moment? So yeah, as as I say, I think 
recently we've seen a different side of Joao Felix. We've seen someone that Simeone seems to trust, somebody that Simeone seems to have have connected with on, on a different level than he has in the past. Because before Joao Felix, to be honest, he he cut the figure of a bit of a sulky teenager. To be perfectly honest, there was always this. I I, I don't know quite what to call it because I don't think it was necessarily that he thought he was better than Atleti. I'm not saying that at all, but there was maybe a disagreement in in how he was playing and where he was being asked to play, what he was being asked to do and how Atleti were playing. And and maybe that didn't exploit his strengths quite as much. But now that there seems to be a bit more of a fit, there seems to be a bit more um, of cohesion between him, him and Antoine Griezmann were on great both on and off the pitch. I think Angel Carrea makes his job a lot easier. He he manages to move quite easily in behind the defence and that gives him sort of a not only a runner to play to, but also somebody to distract the defence from him. Whereas perhaps if you've got Luis Suarez, Luis Suarez at this stage in his career is not the mobile uh, sort of forward that he was and, and he was very much a focal point, whereas I think João Felix probably prefers to be that focal point. And so he's doing a lot better of late. And, and as, I, as I say, I think he's probably Atleti's greatest threat in this match. Yeah, um, I just want to ask about uh, Stefan Savic as well because um, I, I mean I, I don't know if uh, if people will remember this, but ten years ago he had a, he had a season at City. Um, mm-hmm. How's he doing these days? Yeah, he's he's pretty good. I think he's part of this sort of um, the the old guard now of Atleti, where his presence has become essential. Both him and Jimenez, I think Graham Hunter mentioned this the other day that when either of them isn't present, Atleti lose a lot more games than they win, which is is sort of, uh, yeah, very um, uh, strong evidence that he's crucial to the side. Savage brings, obviously, a ruggedness and, and a basic sort of defensive instinct to this Atleti defence. As I say, Atleti, before sort of February, they're a totally different team, uh, and their defence was a large part of that. He had some fitness issues earlier in the season, and the the way that Atleti were defending was was pretty shambolic for, for a good four or five months. But i it's one of those things where defenders, when they're playing in a sort of unit that works together, that works in tandem, and they have sort of partnerships that they're comfortable with, they look great. And then when they're playing in a team that isn't quite so organized or, or has a lot of holes in it, then the defenders themselves look way worse than they are. And I think that was probably the case with Stefan Savage earlier this season. But he's definitely one of Simeone's kind of most trusted lieutenants. And I think if if um, Atleti are to have any chance, then Savage probably needs to be playing all 180 minutes. Yeah. Um, do you foresee a, a back three, back four? How do, how do you see them setting up? I think no doubt it will be a back three with sort of two wing backs. I think it will it will look like a back five at, um, at times in the match. Renan Lodi, again, he's one of those players that hasn't been trusted by Simeone to be in a back four or or is kind of a left-sided centre-back. But as a wing-back, he manages to really exploit that kind of position and, and that space, not quite on top of the, the opposing full-back, but sort of a little bit delayed. Marcos Llorente, I think, will be that wing-back. The engine on him is, is really quite magnificent to watch and the way that he can burst away from players is, is something special. So I think it'll be a back three with two wing-backs. Lovely stuff. Well, uh, Ruri, we've got a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, I'm notoriously bad at it, so uh, with your expertise <laughs> in Atletico, uh, let's uh, let's have your prediction for the first leg. It's uh, what what, uh, what do you think the score will be? 
I think it will be tight, but I think City will come away with a 1-0 win, to be honest. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Ruri Barlow from La Liga Lowdown. Um, John, one of the things I want to ask about this this run of games uh, is something that Guardiola has has uh, really won me round on is that rhythm thing that he talks about. He talks about making sure like he, he didn't make any subs at Palace because he felt like the like the team were in a good rhythm and 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 that he, he didn't want to upset that. Um, how does how does this run of games affect that? Because it, it it might be important that the team can get through it with just on that rhythm, mightn't it? Yeah, I wrote a piece about the substitutions against uh, Crystal Palace. I think you know it's not like he has different players. We all know uh, what City's attacking you know front five six is like. They're all technically gifted, intelligent footballers. So if you're taking out Jack Grealish and replacing him with uh, Raheem Sterling, it's it's you're just taking out one technical player for another. And if Grealish is playing well. Kind of, what's the point? If they're all, it, I mean, City did play well against Palace. They just missed chances. They should have won that game. There's no doubt about it. But um, yeah, rhythm is all important. I think I, I feel like Burnley is. It's important to get uh, make a make a mark in that game to say right, okay, we were a little bit lax against uh, not winning against Crystal Palace. Not a brilliant performance against Southampton. You know, they will have had a few days at uh, in Manchester, obviously the likes of De Bruyne, uh, uh, Ake and Zinchenko, a few others have been around Diaz. Um, you know, this is this is when Pep, you know, he's obviously a very tactical coach, but he's also a brilliant man manager. I just think he's got, he'll have them fired up for this one and ready to make them, you know, to, to really go out and win this one in style and say, right, here we go. This is it now. We're, we're, we're ready for this month. Yeah. We're all we're firing on all cylinders, and we're, if we lose, we lose. But we're we're not we're not going to lose out by not trying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, just in, in in terms of that rhythm and with a style of play thing, Dan, I'm wondering if if the fact that you know Burnley will play a similar style to Atletico, um, Atletico will play a completely different style to to Liverpool. Does that help him rotate his team? Maybe yeah yeah it's it's going to be a it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with that contrast though, with with just a few day few days in between the game it's you know I think the reason that City are so good is that a lot of their work is done on the training ground and it's done with predicting how the opposition is going to play where people need to stand where the ball is going to go that kind of thing with with so few days in between games there isn't going to be as much time to prepare but at this point I think everybody knows what Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool are about you know, especially Pep Guardiola. So you think that they've been building towards this game for a while now and, and working on a few things and thinking about the strategy and they will have done the homework on Atletico as well. So I feel pretty confident that they can they can sort of differentiate between those two styles quite easily. But that Liverpool game, it's not going to be, it's not going to come down to tactics really, I don't think. It's just going to be come down to who is the better team on the day. There's probably yeah. not going to be very much in it. It's going to be a very close game. So it's just going to be it's going to be muscle memory more than anything at that point i think 
Yeah, I've suddenly got the the feeling like this next few weeks is 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 just going to be like steering, I don't know, like like an oil tanker through a hedge maze, just like like <laughs> really really delicate maneuvers, but it's really difficult to do. So I'm uh, yeah. just just not looking forward to it at all. Um, right, charity bat time. We've raised one thousand two hundred and thirty pounds so far this season for the Man City fans food bank support. They're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help those living in food poverty in Greater Manchester. William Hill is giving each of us a ten pound correct score single on City's games. We've got two games to. Uh, to predict um let's start with the trip to turf more dan what are you having for this i go for a two nil win for city uh two nil city win is five to one and 50 pounds if you're right uh john what's yours yeah i've just been talking about how i expect city to go out and make a big performance and then i've decided to go for one nil one nil if it's it, it feels <laughs> like it's it feels like it's going to be tight but if it you know so be it if it's uh, at least they got the job done if it comes off uh, 13 to 2 and 65 pounds if you're right that's the same odds for kevin's prediction 3 nil uh, at 65 pounds if he's right as well um moving on to the atletico tie we heard uh, earlier on that uh, Rory said he thought it would be a 1 nil city win that's 6 to 1 and 60 pounds if he's right uh, john what are you having uh, 2 nil for this one yeah. Two nil City is eleven to two and fifty five pounds. If you're right, Dan, you uh, you were you you were saying you were feeling pretty confident about this. Yeah, which is usually a bad thing to be honest. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for a three one City win, nonetheless. 3-1 City is uh, 12 to 1 and £120 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about booing. Is it good news that the unparalleled tedium of this international break is almost over? Or bad news that the nerves can now return as club football is very soon back? It's hard to decide, though at least it may stop us talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock, for a day at least. And the more I think about it, the more I realise it should be a very easy dilemma to answer, and the last week has helped in this respect. There's no doubt that at first I was happy with the international break, a chance to procrastinate, put off the inevitable stress and nerves of what is going to follow. But it has been some of the most boring two weeks imaginable. I've saved money, reminding me that my passion for football is why I have been avoiding calls from my bank manager for three years at least, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And the great thing about international football is it never fails to remind you why you love club football so much. England fans who booed Harry Maguire this week have you to thank for the latest reminder. I mean, what on earth possesses them to think that this was the right thing to do? Even if some Blues may have found it funny. Having said that, I've been to England matches and nothing surprises me. Maybe there was a party of Greek policemen in the ground on Tuesday night. I'm hardly Maguire's biggest fan, but that is irrelevant to the event that happened at Wembley on Tuesday. I find it just as baffling that Jack Grealish is an England fan favourite, not that I'm complaining, when he's been booed for much of the season when representing his club. It wouldn't surprise me once more if we're talking about some of the same people doing the booing and the cheering. Any City fan can't fail to have noticed in recent years how many football fans are incapable of independent thought. It's even weirder to witness England fans boo a player that has never let England down, but instead boo him because he has shown poor form for his club side that surely most of them don't support. What precisely are they booing and what has his poor club form got to do with them? And booing the captain of a side that has had one of its best periods in many of our lifetimes. It's not as if this England side is struggling, even if I'm still sceptical about the merits of Gareth Southgate as a manager. I laughed when I saw some of the justifications online for these boos, that perhaps it was based on form and a dissatisfaction at a player in poor form being picked for England come what may. 
especially Southgate has repeatedly stressed that he considers club form important. Now I can see the seeds of a valid argument there, but that's where it ends for me, with seeds, as it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny when you repeat the same question, what does this booing achieve? It's crystal clear that Southgate will continue to pick his captain unless club form replicates itself at international level, and it never has. So if Maguire is playing alright for England, and he is, then what have England fans got to be angry about, and who do they think will do a better job? I've disagreed with City team sheets in the past, and I've seen players pick that I do not think deserve to be, that I did not consider to be up to the job. The idea that I would then boo their name, however, is quite ridiculous. If United fans want to boo Maguire, that's a different matter, though again I'm not sure it achieves anything. At least they have a connection to the problems that exist with Maguire in recent times. A West Ham fan at Wembley has no valid reason to have beef with Maguire, and I've never considered booing as something you would do to a player you don't think is good enough, but you do it because of a reason, something about them that you don't like, something they've said, something they've done to enrage you, or due to pure tribalism. It was good to see the players stick up for their teammate. I won't lie, I get a bit of a buzz when I see players call out fans, probably because we deserve it most of the time. We think we have a right to abuse players, say what we want about them and they should just take it because they earn loads of money and they're there for our entertainment. Not all footballers earn a fortune of course and I wonder how far down the football pyramid we would have to go before such people consider abuse of players less acceptable. I would speculate that deep down they are fine with all footballers getting flack as it comes with the territory in their opinion. Now I'm not going to dive into what about me and consider why Raheem Sterling didn't get such support when he was being booed across the country. I haven't cross-indexed the comments of England players and journalists over the entire last five years to see whether they ever spoke out. Plenty on Twitter seem to put the hard yards in now, and they are sure that they did not speak out. Perhaps it's best though to look to the future as times change and hope that this is the start of something better. It would be nice to see club players booed for the crime of moving clubs get some support too and the fans called out once more. After all, the sound of Norwich City fans, to name a random fan base, booing Jack Grealish or Raheem Sterling is one of the most pathetic incidents you could possibly experience in a football ground. But all this was cathartic in a way. This is why the actual football matters, why we should embrace it even if we are nervous. Because football is what we're all here for, it's what defines many of us, and surely it's better to be talking about what is happening on the pitch, good or bad, rather than being dragged into the gutter, firefighting the dregs of social media, mocking the speed at which we sell out games, booing players, questioning the fair market value of our sponsorship deals and more. But irrespective of the nerves that lie ahead, please let's get on with it. Anything's better than this. As anyone who knows me will confirm, it's hard for me to approach the April schedule with anticipation and excitement due to the nerves that will accompany me throughout the whole journey. But this is the essence of being a football fan. Better that City are contenders for multiple trophies than out of the running. Would you rather be a United fan right now instead? There's no need to answer that. The anxiety and some level of negativity is perhaps baffling as well as City have not lost a close run title race in modern times. The caveat of course is that the reduced lead at the top is clear for all to see in recent weeks. But that's part of the twos and throws of a football season. City were bound to drop points at some point and remain clear favourites to win the league with the bookies. Now it's time to stand up and be counted. So no more international breaks, it's back to the real business. No more international friendlies against 10 men with 6 substitutions. City's season is about to be defined. I'm the worst person to be offering bravado and demanding we embrace the challenges of supporting a top, top team that will often find itself in these positions. But this has got to be better than a relegation fight, better than being average, 
and definitely better than sitting at Wembley on a Tuesday night for a meaningless friendly booing England's team lineup. My name is Ricky the Hitman Hatton, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hocking. We're going to finish now with some listener questions. Get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. First up is Ian Ryan on Twitter, who says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the FA's solution to the Liverpool semi-final. An allocation of around 35,000 tickets and 100 free coaches. Is that 100 each or 100 between us and Liverpool? On Easter weekend with no trains. Laughable. Um... Uh, this I realised uh, belatedly that we've not got the panel for this, given that, Dan, you live in Germany. Um, I'm <laughs> not going to the game. And, uh, John, you're there as a member of the press. So uh, we none of us can really talk with uh, you know, great enthusiasm about what this means. But, Dan, as, as a fan... Um, once again, it's it's just it feels like like we are the last to be considered in all of this. Yeah, it's an absolute joke. Yeah, I mean, I I'm one of those people, and I think there's quite a lot of us, the vast vast majority of us, who who don't think that the the semi final of the FA Cup should be held at Wembley to begin with. Even even Jordan Henderson was saying that the other day that I've always thought that it takes away a bit of the prestige from um from the showpiece final, really, which is a bit of a shame and, and has been for a while. I read a quote from from when the new Wembley was built the other day from from someone involved in it who basically said it's a financial necessity for us to be able to pay off this stadium that we have the semi-finals at Wembley every year, which is like, okay, fine, but it, it, it's it's always annoyed me a little bit that. so yeah, We didn't ask for this, the, the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the talk of this this semi final potentially being moved to make it easier for Liverpool and City fans to get to the game was something that I would have been I would have been really behind uh, if if there was any sort of seriousness behind it. But I don't think it was ever even considered, was it? Really, despite them having talks between the two clubs, it would have been much easier for everyone if the game was played at, at Villa Park or at Old Trafford or or, or somewhere in the north or the Midlands. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a joke, really. I, I, I think they've 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 made a token gesture, and I think you know City have put on a few coaches as well. I'm sure Liverpool have put on a few coaches for their fans as well. But it's just th- this overwhelming feeling that you, that everybody's had over the last few years that fans are the last to be considered for anything and, and not really that important. You know, the whole legacy fan chat from the Super League thing last year. The fans who actually go to the game, no one cares about them too much, and same with the ticket prices and all that kind of thing. It's just very, very frustrating constantly feeling like you're, you're almost like a, a second class citizen in, in a sport that, that's supposed to be geared towards you and, and would be nothing without fans really. So yeah, I, th- I think it's a bit, a, a real shame and, you know, fair play to any City fans or, or Liverpool fans for that matter who, who are making the trip down there because it's going to be difficult, you know, going to be spending an awful lot of money and it, it's a time of the season where there's a lot of a lot of big games coming our way potentially and European away trips and, and people are struggling to, to afford things. So fair play to people who are making making that journey. Yeah, John, I was going to say in the in the context of of um there being no trains, it's all it's it, it it's not great. But also in the context of everything else that's going on in life at the moment, the fact that the cost of living is rising, the fact that energy bills are rising. Um it, it, just forcing people onto the roads or force you know you know forcing people into a, a situation like this. It's just not it's not a good look, is it? No, it's ridiculous. I mean env- environmentally as well, of course. You know, it'd be far better if everyone was travelling down by train. But I would compare it with with Chelsea and Crystal Palace fans who can jump on a, an overland train or a, a tube train and get to Wembley in what half an hour, an hour uh, for, for 
what, around around a tenner or something like that. Uh, and, and after the game, they'll be back in the local pub with the mates, either commiserating or celebrating reaching the FA Cup final. Which you know, I'm not suggesting level it down. I say why why can't Liverpool and City fans have exactly the same thing? It's it's, it's there's a big stadium in Manchester that can hold seventy plus thousand fans. Um, it's just it's the it, it, solution is obvious. You know it's. It's been very. There's been a few sort of unsavoury messages said about City fans recently when they've had the odd game at Wembley where they haven't sold out. I mean, you, you have to remember. I think there was one season where they played something like six times at Wembley. You had yeah. uh, the, there was the there's a Community Shield game, FA Cup semi final, FA Cup final, Carabao Cup, Spurs away. Um, you know, it's just it's 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 not a great. It's just it, it, it's not a great ground to get to, uh, even if there are trains running. Um, and also, the, and just going back to your sort of question, you know, the price of the tickets are just set ridiculously high. And if it's a game that people might want to miss, you know, if they, if people can't afford to go to every game, this is one they might choose to miss. And yeah. who can who can question people about that decision? Yeah, it's on BBC One as well, so it's, it, it makes it even easier to miss for for people who've yeah. decided that it's that it's just too expensive. Um, final question this week comes from Dominic McCurry on Twitter. He says, "Can you talk about the difference between how teams set up to play City compared to how they play Liverpool? As imposing as both teams are, from my opinion, it seems like everyone wants to have a go against Liverpool, which typically opens them up to a lethal counter where Liverpool are strong. Yet no one against City will have a go at them. It seems I just feel like every Liverpool game I watch teams go and attack them, even though they know." they'll get crushed on the counter. Nobody does this against City and you know City have trouble against a low block. I feel like teams would be much more successful against Liverpool if they defended the way they do against City. Um, Dan, we have a phrase, don't we, in our group of friends that is, uh, don't do it to yourself whenever um, opposition teams score against Liverpool. And, it kind of it kind of feels like like we buy into this a little bit because it does feel like sometimes teams do make it easy to play against to for, to play against themselves when they when they face Liverpool compared to how they play against them. yeah but um well, it, it, we... it, it can't be true can it <laughs> well whenever we watch Liverpool and we always we always think that Liverpool have been the luckiest team in the world don't we and, and <laughs> we never sort of we never sort of consider that when City have City have got a, a bit of good fortune like they did against Southampton the other week we never worry about that too much but when Liverpool it's like oh Liverpool lucky bastards again but <laughs> yeah I, I think there's definitely some truth to, to what Dominic is saying but what I would say is that I think the best teams and, and City and Liverpool probably are the best two teams in the world you dance to their tune they they make you play how they uh, want you to play and I think with with Liverpool, they are very good at, at kind of drawing the opposition onto them and then hitting them on the counter-attack. They've got two centre-backs who can play incredible passes. They've got two amazing full-backs, you know, two of the best full-backs in the world. They've got a very, very solid midfield who, you know, Fabinho who, who hoovers up all the loose balls in midfield and then they've got three incredible strikers. So that's that's what makes them such a good team. They, they play that sort of high-energy, high-pressing style of football. Um, we are quite a different team. We, ha- we have all of those things that Liverpool have in terms of playing personnel, but we play a little bit differently. We play a possession game of football where it's about control of the game and strangling the life out of the opposition, really. And sometimes I wish that we played a little bit more like Liverpool, but I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that's the way Guardiola sees football, the way he wants to play. I think there are elements of it that he that he appreciates, but we're just always going to play this way, I think, and a slight variation on the, on the same way. So 
Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, teams played against a low block against Liverpool would would help that much sometimes because I think they would find a way through. They've got the quality to do that. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we, we find a way through as well. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident in, in how we play compared to them, really. I think we are. It's just two different styles and it, two very effective styles, two brilliant teams. And I don't think Liverpool are as lucky as we like, <laughs> like to believe sometimes. I think it's all very calculated in the same way that it is with City. Yeah, horses for courses. Um, John, mm. the, the thing with, uh, with the contrasting styles is I, I kind of wonder, like teams are not going to open up against City because City dominate the ball. So of course they drop into shape and of course they, they, they get into position. And it, of course it's, it's very deep and a low block because City have the ball on the edge of their box. It's just kind of the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, I think like Dan says, you know, it's, it's City who set the, the rhythm of the game and they just crush them back into their own, on the edge of their box. You know, you look at Van Dijk, he doesn't really go beyond the halfway line too often. You know, that's kind of the cut-off point, whereas, you know, that's kind of Edison's realm, isn't it, for City? It's, you know, <laughs> Laporte and Stones are another 20 yards further forward. Um, and they just, they, they don't have a get-out. They, they, as soon as, the, the space is so small, that as soon as an op- opponent gets to touch the ball, they're sitting on them, trying to win it back. Um, and there's no, there's no pass available. You've just got to be bang on it. And whereas against Liverpool, you've got a little bit more room. Um, obviously, they're chasing the ball just as hard as City are. But I think perhaps opponents have a little bit, feel like they have a bit more time. And with that space, if you lose the ball, um, it's more dangerous. So they're more likely to score goals on, on a turnover than City. Whereas, like I say, they just, City just strangle opponents, don't they? Just just waiting for the right moment uh, to strike and it's it's all about it's all about what City do yeah yeah right well that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast if you've enjoyed it then please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can thanks to my guests for this week Jonathan Smith thank you and Dan Burke Thank you very much. If you'd like some more, then why not give our Patreon a go? There's plenty of bonus podcasts on there with a range of new formats for this season. This week's episode was City Heaven, City Hell, and it was games with Arsenal featuring John here and Arsenal fan Michael Kashani. Uh, here's a short clip. Adebayo was kind of the focus of it because of, he was a symbol of leaving a, a, a club that had been one of the, the greatest teams of the Premier League era and, and taking the money and going to City. Um, so, yeah... It, it was all. It was kind of all about Adebayo going into the game, and there was a, a lot riding on it for him. Season of seven or eight, he played. He, so he mostly played really well. Fell off exactly the wrong time, and he was always the kind of player who would get five chances a game because his movement was that good. But he'd also miss most of them. And uh, that uh, there was a point where he just stopped scoring, and that's when we started to lose form a bit. We ended up finishing four points off top in the end. So I still hold that. Well, personally, hold that against him quite a lot because I do think it falls on him more than most of the team. Um, and then he spent all of that summer try- making eyes at anyone who'd listen, basically. Um, so going into the pre-season games that summer, there were a couple at the Emirates and he got booed by, by our lot. Um, which, to be, I wasn't there actually, but I probably would have done myself as well. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, so the, I think the, sort of the bad blood had carried on into the season. He did alright, he was injured for most of it. Um, but everyone, I think it was everyone at that point was just happy to be away from each other. Yeah, and then obviously this game comes along. What? I, I mean, it, it was almost a case of, of course he's done it against us, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. And it, admittedly, because I still had that, I mean, I was very young at the time, must a teenager, but like, uh, I still had that chip on my shoulder about him acting like acting like a bit of a prick, if I can say that. Um, 
and then him going going and throwing it back at us, which, you know, with hindsight, extremely funny. But it took me a long time to get there. That was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. If you'd like to hear the full thing, it's online now. Just sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. As an added extra, you'll also get these podcasts every Thursday night or Friday morning without the adverts as well. I'll be back next week, so I will see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I was tidying, I was cleaning the bathroom. So I moved everything out and I accidentally left a doorstop on the stairs, you know, like a triangle thing. <laughs> anyway, I was carrying, a wa- carrying some washing downstairs with the washing machine, didn't see it, stood on it. Oh, and I thought, oh, I went absolutely sliding down. <laughs> and I thought, I'd done, I thought I'd done my arm again, my shoulder. Anyway, I've sliced my foot open. I was completely unaware of it at the time. Oh, I was bleeding everywhere, all over, the, all over the house. Jesus! So I was thinking about my shoulder. But it's so pathetic. It was such a <laughs> pathetic fall. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> it sounds quite exciting, doesn't it? But it was just, it was just a bit of shit. I know. When you say fall down the stairs, it sounds like one of those exciting, you know, head first rolling down. <laughs> you know, this was like falling backwards, sliding down, and <laughs> yelping. Watching me, watching me, dirty socks going everywhere and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> did you go down in installments? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs>